So a couple of days ago, I was watching Cyberpunk Jordan's latest video where he talked about how much of a misunderstood masterpiece Sonic Endgame from the original Archie Sonic run, which was issues 47 to 50, uh, was or was looked at. And that he is also one of the, I guess you could say, rare Defenders fans of the story. And believe it or not, I'm up there with him. I really am. Because when I first read Endgame, and I've talked about this before, I was part of this summer vocational program that my school was part of, my high school was part of, for juniors and seniors. Basically, long story short, the vocational program allowed us to live with other people in apartment-like settings, giving us an idea of what it would be like to live in a dorm-like setting, you know, kind of live on our own as well as give us temporary jobs. You know, so for me, you know, I was kind of doing a, a tech, I, I was doing kind of like a, a prep kind of deal, like I would just do like little memos things. It, it wasn't really my deal. But then they said, okay, you and the others are not into this. What else can we send you to? And then that's when we got sent to work in the kitchen, which was a little bit more exciting, a little bit more fun to do um, at Washburn University. Anyway, long story short, to get to the point here, um, that's when I first read Endgame because what they would do on the weekends um, is they would take us, if we didn't decide, hey, for the weekends we can go home, be with our families, um, instead what they would do if we didn't want to do that is they would take us, that's, take us, you know, those of us, I should say, that stayed, they would take us out, go to the mall, go to a movie, you know, shop around, if you will, and one of the areas we shopped at was a plaza, a little plaza. And I don't know if it was at a gas station located in said plaza or not. But when I walked in there, I saw several issues of Sonic. So I thought, okay, I got the money. I'm going to buy these. And I did. I bought 47, bought 49, and I bought 50. Yeah, they were all there. This is one of those places, I think it may have been a gas station, to where... They didn't really update the issues as much. Like, even if they got new comic book issues in, you know, they left the originals, or what was left of the previous ones, I should say, um, in there. So anyway, I ended up getting those, uh, those three out of four issues of the series, of the miniseries, I should say, um, all at once. But also, also later on down the line, I did finally get issue 48. Now, of course, like everybody else, I did get the director's cut of issue 50 um, when it was released in Sonic Super Special and basically was able to get the full context of what Ken Penders, yes, Ken Penders, had originally had planned for Endgame. Now, you know, just like Cyberpunk Jordan pointed out, a bit of backstory here for anybody that may or may not know, Endgame originally was supposed to be the final story. Like, this was going to be the end of the comic because Ken Penders, being kind of an old school kind of writer, I mean, be honest, he's been in a lot longer than the likes of Ian Flynn and Evan Stanley and even Carl Bolas, I think. But anyway, being someone that's trained as an old school um, comic book writer or freelance writer, 
He basically, obviously, in my opinion, was taught that if a comic book is based on a licensed property, that most of the time that licensed property is not, you know, as a comic book, is not going to last long. That basically the comic based on it will only go to maybe 25, 50, 75, if not 100 issues at most. And Ken obviously saw that Sonic, in his mind, was probably the kind of property that would only reach about 50 issues, and that's it. You know, seeing as though, you know, paying attention, obviously, thanks to his kids, that, you know, Sonic's popularity was kind of wearing, uh, waning, what's the word I'm looking for, waning, yeah, waning, it was kind of waning back and forth. I mean, the cartoon, both of them were pretty much off the air at the time, but they were in repeats, thanks to USA, edited versions on USA, I should say, Um, but they were there. Uh, There were some games coming out, but not as prolific as the originals. And it'd be like two years after Endgame was released that would get one that was prolific and, you know, game-changing. But basically it was in that waning period to where Ken probably thought, well, Sonic's not doing so well anymore. He's not at that peak anymore. You know, we're we're getting close to the 50th issue. Might as well pull the plug here. Unfortunately, Ken didn't have that authority. You see, it's one thing for a writer, especially if you're the lead writer of a comic book series uh, of any kind, whether it's based on a licensed franchise or it's something original, to decide, you know, hey, maybe now is the time to, you know, pull the plug on the, on the story. Maybe, you know, basically put it to rest. Unfortunately... Um, Ken couldn't do that because not only did Archie intervene, but so did Sega. Archie intervened because of the fact that the comic book sales were going up. And being a comic book publisher, if a comic book sales financially are going up instead of down, they're going to want to continue that title. And as far as Sega intervening, one of the things Ken wanted to do was permanently kill off Sally. But Sega said, nope, you're not doing that. And a lot of people pretty much assumed, like myself, and even Cyberpunk Jordan pointed this out, courtesy of information from another fan named Billy, that the reason Sega decided to keep Sally alive was partially due to the fact that she was a prominent character in the Sonic and Sydney live stage show in the indoors, that was part of the indoor Sega World theme park in Sydney, one of a few. I think the other one was in Europe and, the other, and another one was in Japan. But still, she was a prominent part of that stage show. So Sega, basically, in a lot of people's minds, stepped in and said, No, Ken, you're not killing her off because, one, she's not your character, and two, we never gave you the permission uh, to do that. We never gave you, you know, our condolences. We never ba- basically, uh, hold on, let me look at the, you know, basically they didn't give Ken uh, the okay, they didn't give him the confirmation to say, okay, you want to kill Sally? Not a problem. They didn't do any of that. They didn't give him the thumbs up of the word. He just assumed he could do it. Not, you know, realizing or probably forgetting, you know, that, you know, she's a Sega character. Even though she primarily only appeared in the comics and in the cartoon and some other parts of merchandise, you know, obviously he got confused or something to that matter. Anyway, to get to the point 
both them, both of them stepping in prevented not only the comic from ending, but you know Sal- Sally from being killed off. Now, here's the thing, though. Uh, even before Sega stepped in, and I think this has been talked about, and Archie was the first to do so, stepping in and saying, hey, we're going to continue the comic, Ken decided that he was going to basically still kill Sally off. He was still going to keep her dead, but he was going to do so in a way that obviously would be very dark and would be treated as Robotnik's last means of revenge. And what that, uh, and what that reasoning or what that planning was... Uh, that Ken Pendis had wrote in uh, for Dr. Robotnik was that the Sally that would be revived, the Sally that would be alive, if you will, basically, you know, out of a coma, healed up and everything, was actually going to be an auto-automatic. That's right. She was going to be an auto-automatration, you know, that would basically uh, betray the Freedom Fighters, betray Sonic, and be Robotnik's last message to Sonic of, this is my, if I had to die, then this is my last means of revenge towards you. And storyline-wise, he would have basically won, even from beyond the grave. But again, Sega stepped in. Again, this is, I think, when Sega stepped in, because Sega has to approve a lot of the stuff, right? They have, they have representatives that approve a lot of the, you know, the, the ideas. So obviously when Archie decided the comic was going to continue, which Sega was cool with, um, one of the story ideas that obviously Ken had submitted or had to submit to not just Archie but to Sega and the representatives for approval was the idea for this to happen. And that's when I think, I believe, they stepped in and said, no, you don't. You're not doing that because, one, she's not your character, she's ours. She's not your property, she's ours. And again, I think that's where he got confused. That's where he kind of got confused and, you know, didn't realize that she is property or she was the pro- She is and still, I should say, the property of Sega Corporation, America, Japan, Europe, wherever. She is that she is a main Sonic character, not in the games primarily just yet. You know, hopefully that'll change down the line. But she is a primary character in the eyes of a lot of fans. And Sega, whether they want to admit it or not, know this and acknowledge it. Some of them do anyway. But yeah. But yeah, from what I could look at from a step-by-step process, Archie stepped in first, kept the comic going. Sega was cool with it because of the sales were positive. And then Sega stepped in, obviously, when they heard that, well... If the comic's going to continue, that Ken still wanted to keep Sally dead, go in the direction he wanted to go, and they said, no, you're not doing that. And, you know, that was the end of any opportunity for Ken to see any potential storyline he wanted to do in the future issues go down the toilet. Now, Ken's original uh, reasoning, as everybody has brought up, including myself, is that with the king around, potentially around again, that there was no need for Sally. Sally was going to be, you know, insignificant uh, in the manner, in the grand matter of the scheme, if, or in the grand scheme of matters, if you will. She was going to be insignificant. 
However, like I said, Sega, you know, said otherwise because, again, she was playing a prominent part in other Sonic media outside of the comic. And I can tell you honestly, from my own personal opinion, you know, this is mere speculation, but I can tell you honestly, and I think he's kind of alluded to this maybe in some interviews, you know, even though he went with the flow, you can kind of tell when he talks about it in some interviews, or he answers questions about it on social media. Maybe it's just me, but this is my own speculation. I guarantee you, even now, just like back then, and I say it with all due respect, no offense, Ken wasn't thrilled with this. Ken Penders was not thrilled with this because of the fact that he had all these plans and he had to change them. And he wasn't thrilled with it. He wasn't thrilled with it whatsoever. But yeah, because of the changes, we ended up getting uh, basically, you know, a, you know, what I'm trying to say is, hold on for a sec. Okay, I had to rewind myself. I almost got tongue-tied there. But like I said, you know, despite all the changes that obviously Ken wasn't thrilled with, we still ended up getting a decent story. We ended up getting a true, you know, as Cyberpunk Jordan put it, you know, a true masterpiece. Because to me, when I look at Endgame, Endgame to me, and I believe I've mentioned this before, is the best example, despite who was the main writer behind it, it is the best example of how you could do an epic story in a condensed timeline. You don't have to basically spread it out issue after issue after issue after issue after issue, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, you know, in each issue for 20, for 12, 20, almost two years worth, I should say, of comic. Endgame, you know, is the best example of how you could do it within the span of four, six, eight, maybe a year's worth of comics. And that's it. Even with spinoffs and everything, like, you know, spinoff comics connecting to the same storyline uh, in the main book, it, it, Endgame showed that you could get that done in the span of just a few issues. You don't have to keep dragging it on. And, you know, when I look at what Ian Flynn did with Mecha Sally, you know, I still have my issues with it. What I've seen him do with the metal virus, there's a lot of people that had issues with that. You know, I think Ian Flynn, and I say it with all due respect, no offense to the guy, all due respect, no offense. When I see what Ian Flynn does with the metal virus arc, when I see what he did with the Mecha Sally arc, you know, these are stories, in my opinion, that you could have condensed within the span of maybe six issues to maybe eight issues at most. And that's it. You didn't have to worry about dragging it out for, you know, a year or two. Almost two years for Sally and about almost two years, it felt like, for Metal Virus. You know, you didn't have to drag it out for that long. All you had to do was basically say, okay, here's stage A, that's the first four issues, here's stage B, here's the next four issues, and here's stage C, the final stage, the next two issues. That's all you had to do. Ten issues at most for, let's say, Mecha Sally, and then for the Metal Virus, here's two issues here, 
here for stage A, here's two issues here, for stage B, and here for the final stage, here's, you know, two issues there, or so four issues, whatever. You could have done six to eight issues of the metal virus and been done with it. You didn't have to drag it out so long. And Ian knows this. Ian knows this because of the fact, because of the fact that he's done it before. When he did the Sonic Genesis four-parter after 225, not only was he able to connect it to the main storyline still, but he was able to do all of that within the span of four issues. And it didn't feel like, you know, it was a drag. It didn't feel like it was a tiresome, boring job. It felt, it felt like every issue you just had to see what was going to happen next. And that's a good thing. You didn't get bored with it. You know, it didn't feel like a chore, as what I was trying to say earlier. It didn't feel like a chore. You felt like, hey, I got to see what's going to happen next. Oh, I'm, you didn't feel like, oh, when is this going to end and all that. You know, you didn't feel like that. You know, you didn't feel like that when it came, you know, you know, sorry about that. But you didn't feel like it was a massive chore to get through. And you're going to get bored and tired of it. You know, it didn't feel like that whatsoever. And he's proven that even a year span of story he could get through, even with its spin-off connections to, to other books or connecting to other books, you know, he knew he could, he knows he could do that. I mean, Iron Dominion, even with the Journey to the East full part in Universe, you know, that's a good example right there. I mean, even when he did the Moebius invasion story arc, that's another good example. He didn't drag it out. He, he knows what to do. He knows what to do. Now, here's the thing. Is Ken Penders innocent when it comes to setting the standard? No, because he's been known to drag things out too. Let's not, you know, let's not beat around the bush, okay? Let's not beat around the bush. I mean, if we look back to few issues after Endgame, a few issues after Endgame, what did Ken Penders do? What did he and his team do? Okay, they decided to do the World Tour arc, the first World Tour arc, where Sonic and Tails would go after Noctis. That's what they did. Yes, they encountered other characters. Yes, it did tease the Tails Barbarai ship, the Tails Barbarai ship, you know, Barbarai, Barbarai Koala, that is, from the Down in the Freedom Fighters. It did tease that a lot more. If not, basically Ken's attempt at saying, hey, here's a potential love interest for Tails in the Down Under. You know, it did tease that. And yes, it did go on for probably more issues than it should have at that time. At that time. And the same can be said for the Sonic Adventure adaptation as well. But here's the thing. The late 90s to early 2000s were a different time than what we are in now. Or what we've been in for, what, the past decade or so? A little over a decade? It's, it's a different, it is a different, or it was, I should say, a different time frame than what we've been in in the past decade when it came to the Archie book and even the IDW book. 
it was a different time frame. Because you see, back then, you know, and I'm not trying to kiss up to Ken here, back then the stories felt more engaging, they felt more full of variety, like you didn't know, as I mentioned earlier, what was going to happen next. And, you know, when you look at, when you compare, I should say, when you look at and compare, uh, basically, those issues, those long, long length issues to what we got recently and in the past several years, if not the past decade, there is a big difference. There is a big difference, and that difference is they didn't feel like a chore. They didn't feel like a chore, and I always, always stick to this. I always stick to this, that I firmly, firmly believe Ian Flynn has always wanted to outdo Ken Penders. I truly believe that. I truly believe he's been wanting to outdo Ken Penders. Why? Well, here's the thing. Everybody, even when Ian Flynn came on board, every t- everybody talked with, you know, relevancy. Everybody praised, you know, how good Endgame was and all that. And how they felt that it was the magnum opus of the Archie Sonic book. And that nothing can touch it. Nothing can top it. Do you not think Ian Flynn felt a little enviness towards that? Excuse me. Do you not think he felt a little envious towards that? He did. He did, in my opinion. And I say it with all due respect, no offense. I think he felt a little envious. Like, okay, you know, you want to still talk about a, a, a story arc that was written by a guy that's no longer with us as being the best of all time? I'll show you who's better. And I'm thinking that's where the seeds started to get planted. That the moment he arrived, after he did his cleanup job, after he did his cleanup job, that's when I believe he set forth to want to prove he is better at doing magnum opus event stories than Ken. And some will agree that he is, and some will agree that he's not. But I feel that's what it was. He felt challenged to do better. And when you come on board, I will be honest with you, when you come on board and take the place of somebody that's been established, you know, as the head writer that's known to be, that's been known to write good to decent to not so good stories, you know, you are expected not only to continue what they're doing, but to do it better. And that's what obviously Ian felt like. He felt like he was challenged to do better at certain things than Ken. But the way this turns, or the way this ties in again back to Endgame, you know, and what Cyberpunk Jordan said, is that the reason Endgame is looked at as a misunderstood masterpiece is because it gave you everything you wanted in a major event comic, but in the span of four issues. Four and a half if you count the director's cut, you know, from Sonic Super Special, the one included in a lot of the re-releases at that time. Or before the, comp- before the uh, license between Sega and Archie um, ended, it was always included in re-releases. You know, the, the director's cut. Um, but again, you know, this is why people like Cyberpunk Jordan look at it as a misunderstood masterpiece. Because as I was saying, it, took, it basically sh- gave you everything that an event comic 
you know, needs to give you, but in the span of four issues. It didn't drag on and become a chore, issue after issue. It didn't rinse and repeat its, you know, its elements of its story and everything. You know, it didn't do basically, you know, point A to point B, you know, repeatedly time in and time out. You know, every issue was different. Every issue continued after the other. It wasn't like, okay, here's the next issue, but there's no continuation from the last. It was always, you know, it was always straight on forward. It felt like you were reading a big old freaking graphic novel that, you know, sometimes comic book companies were released. They were released big trade paperback or big graphic novel comics that have one story in there where you can only get it there initially before separating it into individual issues down the line. And that's what it felt like. That's what it felt like because it was one story continuing, you know, um, issue after issue after issue. No resets, no rinse and repeats, no chore being boring. It just, you know, kept going. It never stopped. And that's why it's a misunderstood masterpiece, in my opinion, because it set the table. It set the table of how you can make a masterpiece, a magnum opus happen, an event you know, like Endgame happen, but condense it to the point that you don't have to drag it out. And if you know that from experience, from reading it yourself, then you should apply that. You shouldn't be challenged, you know, as much as you feel like you are, to outdo it. And that is why it is a misunderstood masterpiece. And I'm in agreement with Cyberpunk Jordan and others on that. But what do you guys think? I know this dragged out a lot longer than it should have. I do apologize. But I had to get a lot of that off my chest. How do you feel about it? Do you think I brought up a good, several good points here? Let me know down below in the comments, as well as in the live chat during the premiere. Like the video. Super chat, super stickers will be enabled during the live chat if, you've already, no, if you haven't done it already, as well as they'll be mentioned in the description. As well as super thanks after the premiere. And also, check me out at my Venmo at Brian-Walmart-2 and at Cash App at BWRoses98. Check me out at my TikTok at BWRoses. Check out my Teespring store as well for merchandise you can't get anywhere else. Also, check me out, out at Patreon.com, BWRoses, and at Cash App at, at, at Cash App, excuse me, at BWRoses98. But yeah, guys, let me know what your thoughts are down below. And until then, I will talk to y'all later.